This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Here we be on a Wednesday. Bills back out on the practice field. We'll get you the updates on that in just a second. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you as always. And it was a busy trade deadline day, one that included activity from the Bills after we were off the air. Two trades by Buffalo, as you probably all well know, unless you've been living under a rock. Dean Marlowe back with the Bills in a trade with Atlanta for a seventh-round draft choice. I seem to remember hearing that somewhere. And then the other trade affecting the offense. Naheem Hines is a Buffalo Bill as the Colts running back was traded to the Bills in exchange for Zach Moss and a conditional sixth-round draft choice in 2023. So those are the two player acquisitions. Moss goes to Indy, and Zach Moss may play sooner than we think. Jonathan Taylor's toes, ankle is still messed up, so they may need him sooner rather than later. I will say this. It was a uh, monumentous occasion yesterday when that trade was announced, and Brownie slaps it because I will say this. We don't know anything. We're, a, we, we're in the same building with Brandon Bean and the Scouts, but we, you know, we don't know anything that's going on over there. We're not in that loop, right? But three or four days ago, Chris Brown wrote on the whiteboard, and you know our infamous whiteboard where we have it. He said, Dean Marlowe from Atlanta for a seventh. Put it on the whiteboard. I was like, ah, whatever. <laughs> And thank you for dismissing it out of hand, by the way. Boom! Brownie with the grand slam home run, the leadoff home run as Dean Marlowe indeed for a seventh round pick coming back. For a seventh, I mean, you got it every, you, I mean, he called it. Folks, he pointed to the center field fence and knocked it right over the yard marker. Give me a little Boom, Babe Ruth diggity. reference. Okay. It was. I'll soak that up. I'll take that. It was uh, <clears throat> fortunate. It was a sad day in my part because none of my whiteboard stuff comes true. Well, your 13-4 and four record for the Bills is we looking pretty good. we got a chance. It hasn't come true yet. I know, but you're going to have a good look at it. Right. I'm going to have a good look at it. They'll probably go 14-3. and three. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll be here I sit. You can't complain if that happens. Um, but, no, Brownie called it, and it makes a lot of sense. And I know this, too. Bills fans have got to be really kind of giddy that when they heard that, that when Dean Marlowe found out he was coming back to Buffalo, he and his wife and family were absolutely oh, they were over the moon. stoked over the moon. They are they can't wait to get back here, and certainly he's out of practice today. And so, he and awesome. he he was a important depth player for this roster behind they wanted him behind Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Obviously, Hyde is out for the year after undergoing neck surgery for a herniated disc, and Poyer is dealing with an elbow injury right now. Suffered on Sunday night. Not practicing today, and we'll get you the practice updates in a second. But Marlowe was usually the first safety on the field when one of those two right. guys was injured back in 2018, 2019. You know, and then Jaquan Johnson comes on the scene in 2020. Damar Hamlin shortly thereafter. And Dean Marlowe, after the 2020 season, goes to Detroit for a year, plays there, and then latches on with Atlanta this past off season. And he was largely uh, a depth player there as well, but he knows this system inside and out. Yeah, I, and that when you when you're parachuting in midseason, Steve, that's, that's a big help. deal. It's going to help, no question. But I think you know in today's in the day and age of today, you know how to play the defenses. You just don't. You just need to know the words, and Marlowe will pick that up a little bit faster. I think. I think the thing that's important in his travels over the last year and a half. 
He left Buffalo, and Buffalo said, we, we totally understand. He wanted to get on the field. He goes to Detroit. They pay him like a starter. He plays there for one year, and then Detroit Lions being the Detroit Lions, they make changes, and he's now he's a free agent, goes to Atlanta, uh, but ends up back in Buffalo. The Bills, when he left, told him, said, we love you, man. We don't want you to go. If you never know. And Brandon Bean alluded to this conversation with some other players who are like Zach Moss, who's left. He says, listen, you never know how things are going to turn out. If, you know, we may get you back here someday, somewhere. I mean, think about, you know, Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson and all these guys. They're proof of it. Um, now Dean Marlowe. Now Dean Marlowe. They come back, and it's really cool to see Dean Marlowe react the way he did and, he even got to, see old, the, and to see the club handle it in that yeah, way. He even got his old jersey number back. He's 31. Uh, Naheem Hines is going to wear jersey number 20. I think it was the only number available in the 20s. And so you have these two acquisitions. General manager Brandon Bean addressed the media just a short time ago, right before the noon hour. And we want to play some of his initial comments where he addressed these two player acquisitions for the Bills. I learned last night that uh, Ron Rivera's mother passed away. So I want to uh, send our condolences from me and my family, the McDermott's, and uh, all the people in the Buffalo Bills uh, for, for Ron and, and his family. Um, I want to thank our scouts for uh, our pro department really the last few weeks. You know, obviously there's rumors out there and swirling, and we'll get into some of that. But um, these guys, you know, for us acquiring two players at the end, there's a lot of watching tape, making calls, going through the process, going through contracts, going through everything to pare down what positions we're, we're targeting or, or, or what players we're looking into. So um, those guys did a great job of helping helping me kind of filter this down to the decisions we made yesterday. <clears throat> um, Safety-wise, you know, uh, we ended up with Dean Marlowe. You guys are very familiar with Dean. Um, you know, Sean and I had him in Carolina. We got, obviously, I think he started seven or eight games for us here in his time, uh, was a fill-in. And uh, if, if something happened to Jordan and Micah, kind of that third safety. So uh, with Micah being out for the year um, and then Jordan uh, still being nicked up and, you know, can try to work his way back, uh, this gives us a guy who knows um, our team, our defense. And we looked at – we probably narrowed it down to about ten safeties um, the last few days. And even before Jordan uh, was – was re-injured the other night, we were still looking at that position, um, you know, knowing Micah wouldn't be back. So, um, but ultimately, you know, we just, you know, through all the calls and all the research, uh, we felt like the best fit ended up being Dean, and, and we made that move yesterday. Uh, running back-wise, I know that's been rumored a lot. Uh, I'd say a lot of those were probably more rumors than than all factual what was out there, but, you know, there's a lot of posturing that goes on and leveraging, and, um, a couple of those, you know, I'll get into Naheem here in a minute, but, you know, I know it started with McCaffrey. Uh, yes, that was the last draft I was there in Carolina. Know him well. You know, when you hear he's on the block, um, I wouldn't be doing my due diligence to not look into that. Um, the process of how we look into things from a scouting standpoint is our scouts are – they have teams they're responsible for, and they're tracking everything. And when you hear buzzes out there on Twitter, on uh, in the media, whatever, that a player may be available, that's their job to turn on the film, evaluate them, and then look into them. 
and there are times when things get put out there that the Buffalo Bills are after this player. Sometimes I'm not even aware, and I say that in the sense that a scout may have, you know, we may have a scout and he's in charge of the Denver Broncos, and he may call his contact at that team and say, hey, is, you know, is this guy even available? Should I even mention him? Should I not? Sometimes you never even hear back whether the guy's available or not, and then you read two days later that we went after him. And so I say that just to help us all how the process works. You know, the, the Al, that leads me to Alvin Kamara. You know, that was the scouts looking into, you know, they put something out, you know, maybe Philly was in it or someone, I can't remember the team, and checked into it, never actually got an answer whether he was available or not, and then – Sunday is reported on one of the shows that we were rebuffed. Well, I never spoke to their GM about, you know, that's just how the process works. So I want, you know, for all of us, that's how we work internally. Um, I know you guys have a job to do, but sometimes when you hear we're involved. Now, again, I did on Christian McCaffrey, I did speak to the Panthers GM, never made him an offer, but did stay in touch through the process. And ultimately uh, it was going to be more than we were going to be able to do so um i think that's that naheem is a guy um <clears throat> you guys know me sometimes uh with steph or Manuel sanders naheem's a guy i've looked into in the past uh i think the first time we checked on him was the training camp of covid um and then checked on him again last off season before uh before we went after mckissick and then ultimately drafted James, but um, he's a guy, you know, we liked through the draft process all the way back in 2018. And, you know, obviously we saw him up close a few times, made some big plays in, in the playoff game against us. Um, and just, he's a, he, you know, he's more of a guy that's just a, a weapon with the ball in his hand, whether it's a punt returner, kick returner, as a receiver, um, he runs jet sweeps, he runs the wildcat. Um, <clears throat> so we just felt this was a chance to add another guy that Ken Dorsey and Josh and the crew can use, you know, just as another offensive piece. And again, um, helps us as a punt returner too. We lost Crowder earlier in the year. Shakir's done a really good job, but as a rookie, that's that's a lot. And he's still trying to get his feet settled at, at wide receiver. And so to add a guy with, um, with his ability as a punt return, just thought it made too much sense. Um, none of this was a negative on Zach it just you know I think we all saw I, you know Zach is a very good player and I want everybody to understand that Zach's going to have success in this league um, but the way our offense works you got to get Devin a lather you know Cook's got his role and it was just hard to get Zach the role that he wants and so I think this will give him an opportunity to showcase his skill set as well so hopefully this is a win for the Bills a win, you know, for Zach and, and the Colts in, in where they're headed. But go on. No, I'm good. I'm good. You're first, Sal. So I guess really kind of a two-part thing. First part of it is what does this signal regarding James Cook? Is it the sense would be that he's a rookie and want a veteran guy this particular season? The second part would be school of thought was you guys need a banger at running back, a short yardage guy. Hines really wouldn't give you that. Can you handle maybe both of those aspects of it? Yeah, I think Devin's done a good job you know, with with his role of, of the short yardage stuff. I think we feel good um, with him in that role. I mean, Zach is a is a 
banger, if you want to call, if you want to use that word. But um, you know, we still the way our offense is built. We just you know his reps were limited. You know, he's a guy. He's probably going to be better if you're able to get him ten plus touches a game. Get get that lather kind of going, and just you know, you want to get Devin going, and you want to get Cook the ball, and and you know the other guys. You know, we got we got Josh, and we want to have the ball in his hands as well. So. Um, and as far as James, like this is just another guy. This this won't this shouldn't affect James at all. This is a a proven commodity that does some of the same things, but also does you know there can be as he learns the offense, there can be multiple packages where James and Naheem are in the game at the same time, or you know still James and and Devin or Devin and Naheem. You know I think it just makes us it gives us the opportunity to be you know more versatile, multiple you know, variations uh, of the different personnel packages that, that Coach Dorsey can, can put out there. You mentioned Josh in, as part of the mix in the short yardage role, and obviously given his mobility, that's, that's part of the offense. But I would ask the, the, the larger question, and we've talked about this in the past, I think a lot of people would have. Are you comfortable with the way he's managing himself running the football at, at this point in his career? Yeah, I mean, Josh is getting better and better at that. There's always going to be some plays. I mean, the other night he makes it on that third and 14 play, um, our second drive, our first touchdown. Makes it, when he gets that close to the goal line, your your instincts kick in, Adam, where you're like, I'm going to get this ball over. I'm not going to assume because we get it to the two or the one that we're going to get in. All of a sudden you have a false start, a fumbles to anything. So, um, you know, Plays like that are third and short, fourth and short, you know, in big moments of the game, he's going he's gonna to do it. But I think he's done a better job. We ran the um, one of those drives. I think it was one Isaiah scored on. But we ran a little cue draw, and he slid, didn't take a hit. So I think there's, there's times he's doing really well. Um, you know, there's, he's still going to take – he's a competitive dude. And I think he's intentionally trying to do better and avoid those. He knows, you know, we got to keep him healthy. Um, but we also want the defense to have to worry about that fact. I think that helps, um, you, know, our, you know, our chances to move the ball. All right, that's GM Brandon Bean addressing the media. He talked for probably another 15, 20 minutes. Uh, the general synopsis and takeaways from it, I thought Steve were, and he just mentioned it a couple of minutes ago there that we were listening to him. In his opinion – the presence of Naheem Hines is not going to impact James Cook's role in this offense at all. We had just been talking on Monday about how Cook's role could steadily increase with each passing week. I think that's at least somewhat compromised by the presence of Naheem Hines because it is an extra mouth to feed in the scope of the offense. I think once Hines is up to speed, I think it's pretty safe to say that all three of the backs are going to be up most weeks. And, with that, you're going to have to divvy it up somehow. And I think until proven otherwise, Singletary is going to get the bulk of the work with Hines and Cook kind of getting shuffled in and out of the lineup in various capacities, various packages. Hines may also have a punt return role. It seemed very apparent that they feel comfortable handing that to him, knowing they felt it's a lot on Shakir's shoulders as a rookie. Yeah, and I, I think, too, Hines is a guy that backs up both the running back, both in the pass and the running game, he backs up or could take over the punt return or kick return duties. Yeah, he could back up 
Isaiah McKenzie or replace him and be a, a, a kind of a redundant piece for McKenzie's position at the slot, as well as Shakir. Uh, he he really is he's he's like an offensive lineman who can play all five spots. Yeah. So I think that's probably at least in the beginning where you got to pencil him in. He could be a slot receiver, running back, punt returner, kick returner. Um, a hundred percent of all of them, or versatile in any of them, where he could go in motion, he could take the jet sweep like uh, Isaiah McKenzie does. He's got outstanding speed, and uh, but right away, I was you know, talking to some of the media people on the sidelines. Right away, and this is what happened to me. I mean, you show. I showed up on a Saturday. I played the next day on special teams. You could plug him in immediately on punt returns, kickoff returns, yeah. and then work him slowly in spot duty and the slot and the running back spot, whatever you want. He's a really versatile athlete. Great speed, great hands, great route running ability, the ability to return kicks and run routes. I mean, that's that's a lot in there. And the question is, he's so – and this may be what happened to him in Indianapolis. He's good at so much, there's not one role you can get him and let him expand on it. You know, right. I mean, he's just you got to. Well, okay, now we got to move him over here. Now we got to put him here. Now we got to give him this. But when the ball is in his hands, that guy's a that guy's a home run. So that's the question: How do you get him the ball in a spot that gives him some space in a consistent way? And whose reps does that come out of? Yeah, it's got to come from somebody else's time because the guy he replaced on the roster in Zach Moss was not getting time. So he's going to eat into somebody's time somewhere, somehow. And I think the reason people are concerned about what this means for James Cook and perhaps stunting his growth is the fact that their skill sets are pretty similar. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are two backs who are polished route runners, did a lot of route running at out wide in college. Himes went to NC State as a receiver. He was then used at running back as well, but... He was a receiver. He knows what zone he's defense. fast. Yeah, and he's a four three eight guy. Cook is a four four two guy, so they're pretty comparable in the speed department. I think that's the thing that I'm most excited about, Steve. This offense got faster with the addition of Hines. And Yeah, they did. You know, speed kills and you want to run that wide zone running game with Hines and Cook. You can make a lot of hay with those two guys. Yeah, and I, I get it. People are all giddy. It's like, wow, wouldn't it be great if James Cook and Naheem Hines get on the field at the same time. Eh, okay, fine. But that's not <laughs> – yeah. Well, you can if one's in the backfield and one's in the slot. Yeah, I get it. But there's no difference between that and having, you know, um, you know Isaiah McKenzie at the slot. You know, so I, I – um, anyway, yeah, it's a, a lot of fun to think about, but let's just see how the guy does for a while before we start, you know, transforming an offense that's not broken. Right. And I, I asked Coach McDermott today, you know, how what's realistic in terms of Hines assimilation into an offense that is pretty voluminous and asks a lot of its players in terms of knowing a multitude of roles. And he would fit into that category just based on his versatility alone. And he said, we're just going to have to wait and see. They, you know, in the scouting that they've done on him, they believe him to be a pretty intelligent player, guy that picks things up quickly. We'll find out how quickly in the coming weeks here. Uh, Dean Marlowe, however, is a much different situation. 
guy's been in this defense for the better part of his career because he was not only working under McDermott here in Buffalo, he was serving under McDermott in Carolina when he was defensive coordinator there as a practice squad player. So he's been a part of this defensive system almost for, for all but two years of his playing it's, career. It's possible for Marlowe probably to be a bigger factor on the field early on than Hines. As, as fun as it is to think about Hines going yeah. and scoring touchdowns and stuff, Dean Marlowe may be on the field a lot quicker. I, I would anticipate this. I would say, let's just say hypothetically, Poyer can't play this week. Just We don't know anything, but let's just mm-hmm. say he can't play this week. Jaquan Johnson and DeMar Hamlin start. I wouldn't be surprised if Marlowe's the first safety on the field if there's another injury at the position. Yeah. And, the only re- and that's no knock against Cam Lewis, who is you know the, one of the other backup safeties. But the facts are these. Cam Lewis played his entire college career cornerback at UB. He's played almost his entire career here in Buffalo with the Bills as a cornerback. Only this past offseason did they try to shift him to safety to learn an additional position. I remember talking to him in August, and he said, yeah, it is an adjustment. All the angles are different. I'm trying to master angles of entry, you know, to make tackles. The reads are different. A lot more space to cover. So there are a lot of things that he's trying to learn on the fly. And I'm not saying he's not better now than he was in August. I trust that he is. But the difference between a guy who is learning a new position at the NFL level for a team that's really got dreams of going places, Dean Marlowe is valuable insurance because he's a guy that you know knows how to execute in this system. And that's key. And I, um yeah, exactly, and I think that's why he may see the field a lot more earlier than Might be than up on Hines. special teams he, this week. And, yeah, and he can certainly cover kicks as well. Um, but Hines, is, Hines and Marlowe, I think the thing about these trades, and it was a record-setting, if you haven't heard, it was a record-setting day yeah. yesterday at the deadline around the NFL. Tons of transactions took place, which is in, unusual because back in, in decades past, you would see zero trades made. Now it's it's – you know, a norm, but the trades that, that with the bills that happened yesterday, I mean, you're getting some guys that are going to be on the field the second half of this season for the Buffalo bills. You're going to get to know these guys. Um, it's unusual to think of that because this is a team that's, I mean, they're going to go, man. This, yeah. this team has got, they're expected to be in and expect themselves to be in a shot at the Super Bowl this year and to be able to grab two guys of this caliber that could help at spots where they need it. I mean, I, I got to tip my hat to Brandon Bean and his guys. They, they are hitting on all cylinders at every level of this organization, well, he's let always, alone on the field itself. Like he said today, he's always looking, and sometimes things don't work out. The thing that I found interesting was they cast a pretty wide net at the safety position. It was clearly a top priority for this organization to get some depth at the safety position – knowing you lost Micah Hyde for the year, Poyer's dealing with an injury and is nicked up right now, they needed depth at the position. He said they had 10 identified options at safety, 10 different players across the league that they had their eye on, maybe called about all 10. Who knows how far all of those discussions got? Obviously, compensation factors into who you're going to pursue more ardently and who you're going to pull out on, but... 
in the end, it got whittled down to Dean Marlowe and the deal got done. I thought it was also interesting, Steve, that Bean told us as of 1 p.m. yesterday when we went on the air or we were we went on the air. Neither of these two deals were anywhere close to happening. Yeah. It's unbelievable how deadlines make things happen. Yeah. Isn't it? It is. And, you know, 10 different options. You're right. This is, I mean, they're, they're in go-forward mode, but they're doing it in such a way as to continually have that window on the back end. Just There's no back end to this window slamming. You know what I'm saying? Well, Marlo's under, I mean, Hines is under contract for another couple of years. Yes. And they got him on a good on a great deal. Uh, he can be in this locker room now for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, through 2024. So they're not looking to just push all their chips to the table. But it's a calculated thing that uh, – and for a seventh, Marlowe is, is perfect. Right. Uh, we should pass along to you the practice update for today presented by LECOM, Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine – as we mentioned, there are players taking some veteran rest days. Those are Daquan Jones, Von Miller, and Roger Saffold. Injured players not participating during the media viewing portion of practice. Jordan Poyer, uh, who left the game with an elbow injury. Matt Milano, who sustained an oblique muscle injury in the game on Sunday night. And Taiwan Jones was not seen out there at practice either today. He was dealing with an injury going into last week's game. Did suit up and play but apparently is still dealing with that. So we'll have to see where all those go. Coach McDermott labeled all of those players day to day. So I guess that's good news. The other bit of good news, Spencer Brown back out on the practice field after missing last week's game with the ankle injury that he suffered in week six against the Kansas City Chiefs in the second half. David Questenberry has been filling in for him since he's been out of the lineup. So we'll see if Spencer Brown can get all the way back to active status come this weekend. So those are your Bills practice updates. The only other update to give you, Tredavious White, in case you missed it yesterday and all the trade talk, was activated to the 53-man roster off of the reserve PUP list. Now, the only thing that has changed in terms of his chances of playing anytime soon, each of the last couple of times, once Trey started practicing with the team, Coach McDermott ruled White out not available for that upcoming game each of the last two times a game has been on the schedule while Trey was practicing. Today he was asked, are you going to rule him out early this week again? And he said, no, I am not ruling him out this week. He is day-to-day. They want to see how it goes through the course of the practice week this week. And then they get to the end of the week, they'll make a decision. Um, I thought thought Coach McDermott kind of chose his words carefully he basically said, when Trey is ready, he'll play, which is obviously vague. But it's clear to me, Steve, they are in no hurry to put him out there unless they believe he is right. And I thought Brandon Bean brought up an astute point as well when he addressed the media because he essentially said, we have to remember, Trey didn't have a training camp. Right. There was no on-ramp to regular season football for Trey. So even though he's been practicing the last couple of weeks, he's been doing it in limited fashion. I mean, he's not getting a full complement of reps in the practice setting the last two weeks. I think that begins in earnest now, but they got to on-ramp him for regular season football. You can't just drop him in out of the sky. 
and tell him go play 65 snaps. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think best case scenario or more likely scenario, he's up this week. And he's an emergency guy. He'll probably get thrown in for a handful of plays. He's on a pitch count. Yeah. And then see how it goes. Uh, You're right, though. I'll say this. The training camp thing, yes, no question. He hasn't taken any reps. Oh, he's taking some reps now in practice. But um, his training camp, I don't, want to, I don't want to make light of it, but his training camp probably wouldn't have been that strenuous anyway. And with he's not been training out away from the state. He has been in the house with the sports science and the coaches and the people who know, saying, listen, got to do this, not to do this, got to do this. Data all over the place. He's going to be more ready than a guy coming out of training camp or at least a guy coming into training camp to be ready to play. So uh, he's in meetings. He's got all that. He's got the mental side of it. He, he'll ramp up very quickly, in my opinion. But they may start him slow even despite that. I think he'll, yeah. like we said, like you've said all along, he'll come in, play a handful of plays. Maybe he may, it may be as much as ro- rotating in for a series. Say, okay, this is your series. And he goes for three or four plays. It may be a three and out, or it may be an 11 play drive. Who knows? Yeah. And they'll keep an eye on that and then pull him off and say, okay, there you go. Um, and that may be it for the day. Or he may get that once every half, once each half. Or he may get one a quarter. It may be that big. Or it may be, a, you know, that may be where it starts. The whole thing. It may take him a month or four more games to go in. All right, now he's playing. He's going to take every snap. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're going to slow play this. So I do believe if he plays this week, he'll be on a pitch count for sure. We have I'll, to take uh, a – Just before that, too. I know this. You know this, too. They are not going to be dissuaded from taking it slow for him. So if they drop a game to the Jets, it doesn't mean they're going to say, "Wait a minute, oh, we got to get him on the field." Uh-uh, that's not going to happen. Not with no. this team. He's going to play when he's ready, despite whatever happens on Sundays for this team. Break time for us here. When we return, we're going to be joined by ESPN NFL reporter for the Colts, Stephen Holder, who's going to shed a little bit more light on what Bills fans can expect. From their newest running back, Naheem Hines. Stephen Holder coming up next here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and pleased to be joined now by ESPN NFL reporter for the Colts, Stephen Holder, as we discuss one of the two trades the Bills made yesterday at the deadline, the acquisition of running back Naheem Hines in exchange for Zach Moss and a conditional sixth-round draft choice. Stephen, how you doing? I'm doing great. Um, I, I needed a lot of sleep last night. Crazy day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I want to start here. I, I don't think there's any debate that Naheem is a versatile talent. So, And I realize the Colts' season probably hasn't gone the way they anticipated. Why do you feel they believed him to be expendable? So... There are there's a couple of layers here, right? So I'll I'll just kind of go through them quickly. The first thing is they haven't really gotten a lot of mileage out of him, which has nothing to do with his talent. It just really has to do with how he's been utilized. And I think there were really in there were there were real plans this season. There were there were honest plans, and and 
earnest plans, I guess is what I'm saying, to really expand his usage. Uh, he went to the organization after last season saying, hey, what's up? You know, I, I thought I was going to get the ball more. I resigned with you guys for four years. What's going on? And I think promises were made. Those did not get fulfilled. And frankly, the, the way the season has begun, all bets were off, right? They were just trying to find a way to block people, frankly, the last month or so. Anyhow, that's one angle of it. So did he demand a trade? I, he was ready to go. And I don't know if demand's the right word, but uh, he was very open to a trade. And, and I think he knew he could be utilized potentially better elsewhere. And we know so he, that's one. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say the other the other issue here is, you know, I think there's been a little bit of duplication this year with with Paris Campbell, their slot wide receiver, because frankly, with Naheem, you know, catching the ball is a big part of his role. And he was going to do some of that. It was thought out of the slot. Well, Paris Campbell has never been healthy <laughs> in four years. For the first time, he is, and he's actually become a staple in the offense this year and is doing a lot of the things that Naheem can do in terms of being a versatile sort of gadget type of player. So I think they kind of canceled each other out a little bit. And then there's also Jonathan Taylor. If you have Naheem Hines on the field as a running back, you're taking Jonathan Taylor off the field. That has always been an issue, or at least has been the past year plus. So he kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And as poorly as their offense has performed, uh, they do have some some duplication with him, and it's just uh, it's just an unfortunate situation. Their problems don't start with their skilled players, correct? They're they're having right. some problems up front. That's what I would say for sure. Certainly, Matt Ryan did not perform well either, but I think those issues are inextricably linked when you talk about the quarterback and an immobile quarterback, particularly with poor protection. So, Stephen, you've seen flashes of what he's capable of over the time that he's been there, the four-plus seasons. What do you believe if he is placed in the right fit, if he can find a niche here in the next several weeks with Buffalo, what's his realistic ceiling? I mean, we know he's quick as a hiccup, but what, what is his realistic ceiling if his talents are maximized? So I think you have to look at Hines – not in terms of volume, but in terms of specific impact, you know, and, and that, that impact may come periodically. It may not be every single down. And look, the, the Colts have never really viewed him as an every down running back because that's not what he is, right? He's a guy who I think you use in spots, but he can be extremely useful if used properly. And so what you'll see is I think a guy who can – who can be a, a very versatile running back or excuse me, very versatile receiver out of the backfield and really have to give uh, the offense or the defense, I should say, uh, pause when he's back there because, you know, he is a dual purpose kind of player. Uh, they've used him in Indianapolis on direct snaps and he's done a good job there. Uh, he he was a wide receiver in college at North Carolina State. So he he has tons of experience as a as a slot receiver, he understands routes. He understands his own defenses. So he can function as a, as a receiver very, very well at high level. So really, it's up to the Bills. It's, it's up to them and how they want to use him. There's not a lot of limitations. He also is a very good punt returner, by the way. And the Colts were sort of pulling back on his usage there. 
but uh, he is a, a very, very aggressive and and uh, dangerous punt returner who, in his career, had a game where he took two punts to the house in one game. So, and I know that this is at this time when after you just trade for a guy, everybody's looking at him and as this bright, shiny new object on the shelf that they're waiting to to bring down and use. What does he do? What does he not do well? Yeah, well, he he has early in his career he had some ball security issues. I think he's cleaned those up for the most part uh, on special teams in the return game. He's been a little bit shaky there at times. So that's I think where he has to be good, especially when. You're not a guy who's getting the ball on every play, right? You, you've got to you, – you can't have those mistakes when you're getting the ball intermittently, right? Uh, the other thing is he, he kind of hasn't really found his mark, I think, as a, as a traditional running back. He can run the ball, okay? He's a very good and, and solid, respectable runner as a traditional running back. But I think sometimes what he'll do is he may sometimes get a little too cute at times. And I think what he's got to do is just get north and south. But he's, he's very, very quick and can do that. It's more about a, an approach rather than a, a physical limitation on him there. With 4.38 speed, Stephen, he seems like a perfect fit for you know tosses, pitches, wide zone running scheme. The Bills have that you know within their offense he seems tailor-made for that. Is that where he kind of had a lot of his success out on the edges in the run game? Absolutely. I think what the Colts oftentimes <laughs> where his value is, is pre-snap. You know, they'll use him, um, you know, that jet motion, you know, mm -hmm. right before the snap and the defense freezes because they will hand it to him at times there or pitch it to him. Uh, They've thrown wheel routes to him out of the backfield and got, get him matched up on a linebacker down the sideline. That is not a good matchup, okay? That is a bad matchup for the defense. So, really, he, he can do everything. He can do all of that, and I think he actually creates the potential for more creativity because of his skill set. I mean, they, they may have those elements in their offense, as you said, but having them in their offense and, and having a player who can – who can execute it the way Naheem Hines can is two different things. So I think it's a great move for the Bills. I, I told Naheem personally, I was like, you couldn't have gone to a better spot just because uh, you've got a dangerous quarterback. And and what that does uh, from a from a defensive standpoint, you know, having to worry about a, a, a quarterback who can run and a, a running back slash wide receiver who can play multiple roles like Hines, I think the possibilities are endless. Stephen, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. That's ESPN NFL reporter Stephen Holder joining us here. We will take a break because when we come back, we're going to be joined by NFL on CBS color commentator Charles Davis. He's doing the game this Sunday, Bills and Jets with Ian Eagle on CBS. He catches up with us next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, we're back here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, and pleased to be joined by NFL on CBS color commentator Charles Davis, who rejoins us. We caught up with you, Charles, in the first month of the season going into that Bills-Ravens game down in Baltimore that you and I called. Uh, you're going to be wholly familiar with both of these teams because you just did Jets-Patriots last week. Yeah, and we did in the week before we did Jets at Denver, and earlier this year we had Jets at home against Cincinnati. So I think we have a fairly good feel for the guys in green. So we're looking forward to 
doing this one and seeing the Buffalo Bills for a second time this year. I mean, let's just be frank about it. If you're in the broadcast game and you're not excited about seeing the Bills, you need to quit. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we've been watching, and of course, we've been starting to watch the Jets this week because we've been doing other games and all of that. But this the Jet defense is for real. That front, the front four, front seven the, in the box for the Jet defense is really the, the engine, I think, that drives this team. I mean, is that how you see it as well? Absolutely, Steve. And, and I think what's really interesting about it is, you know how many times the three of us have heard coaches talk about, well, we really don't have starters, you know, because we have so many guys that could be starters, yet every week the same four guys start? Yeah. So, so yeah, you actually do have starters. You're just peddling something, right? Well, the case is the Jets have starters, but they are not averse to playing eight, nine guys on the defensive line. All right. They like that rotation system. And the guys that come in, give them good play. They just traded away one of them, Jacob Martin. He went to Denver. But Bryce Huff comes off the bench and gives them really good play. You get Nathan Shepard, Solomon Thomas, the former number two overall pick in the draft. Vinnie Curry is off the off the IR, came off a couple of games ago. And Jermaine Johnson, their number one pick, has missed the last couple of games. My sense is that he'll be up and ready to go this week. So they rotate a lot of guys in, and, and there's one in particular that I think has played really well for them, and that's Michael Clemens, their fourth-round pick out of Texas A&M. He's actually played better than the first-round pick, Jermaine Johnson, here in the early going. Yeah, and it's almost like they took a page out of the Leslie Frazier's playbook because he's been rotating eight defensive linemen for years now, and looks like the Jets uh, kind of like that idea as they're employing the same thing. I know it's, I know it's early – Charles, but knowing you've seen a few Jets games now, you saw pre-Bryce Hall and post-injury Bryce Hall Jets offense. Are they still trying to find their way without Brees Hall after one game played, do you think? I think that's a, I think it's a fair assessment. I think that their way is what they have in mind, what they want to do, and what they've already established. Hence the trade for James Robinson. I don't know who Joe Douglas, their GM, was targeting totally. I don't know how many different calls he made. You, you and I also, I mean, the three of us all know, it's kind of like when a guy gets picked in a draft. Oh, that's absolutely the guy we targeted, right? I mean, every <laughs> single time. Oh, he is absolutely the guy we wanted. Well, so we really don't know. But James Robinson, in a lot of ways, is a clone of Brees Hall in terms of size, style, physicality. The one thing James Robinson doesn't have that Brees Hall has, that extra gear and then some. The Denver game, when when the Jets won at Denver, I think I probably overused the word, but it was a slog. Like, there was not much going on. And then Brees Hall took a toss sweep and 62 yards later ran his chest up into the goalpost and that broke the game open. You remember it was a tight game, wasn't a lot of scoring. That's what did it. Can James Robinson score touchdowns? Yes, but from 62 yards? Right. That's not his game. Everything else, though, he can catch it. His pass protection is terrific. He'll run inside and beat people up that way. He can be a high-volume, high, high heavy-duty heavy back, but he doesn't give you that home-run hitting ability on a consistent basis that Brees Hall did. But I still think the Jets want to play the same way because Michael Carter's there. He gives them some bounce. He can catch it. And Michael Carter works best in a tandem. Remember North Carolina, who was he in a tandem with? Javante, Javante Williams. Yeah. When yeah. he got to the NFL, he became the lead guy. 
they drafted Brees Hall, and that made Michael Carter more valuable in terms of what he does. So that's how the Jets do want to play. But getting their footing, I think we'll, we'll know that more about that, Chris, in probably about three or four weeks when, when, when uh, James Robinson is fully acclimated to the guys in green. Is Zach Wilson getting better? No, he's not getting better, but that doesn't mean he won't. Mm-hmm. See, and I think that's where we've got to keep ourselves locked in on all of this. It's, it's, we are in that society in that time where the snapshot is the absolute. His snapshot right now is not one that he wants or the Jets want, in my humble opinion. Now, I'm speaking for myself, okay? I'm not going to speak for him. I'm not going to speak for others. I don't think it's, you know, we all know football. So it'd be disingenuous to talk about, well, you know, he just made a mistake or two in the last ball game. He didn't play very well. I don't care if he threw for 355 yards. The errors that he made were big in terms of throws, not setting his feet, ball sales. He's trying to throw it away from it from people. And, the, and instead of getting it in the fifth row and letting someone have a souvenir, it's in the field of play and McCourty picks it off. Then he throws the last one and his team was wearing black that day. There was one black shirt in the picture. There were four white shirts in the picture. Those are the kind of throws he can't afford. And I'm going through my homework and research today. And there's a, an article I haven't even gotten to yet. And the headline says, GM says Zach Wilson must cut down on turnovers. So I don't think any of us are, are acting like Zach Wilson's doing everything the way they want or what they drafted. But that doesn't mean it can't turn around. He was picked number two overall for a reason. He just has not played to that level when they've needed him to throw the football. Now, guys, let's just make it very clear. When Brees Hall and Michael Carter were running the ball and beating people up, he didn't have to worry about that. If you can keep them from running the football, make him, you know, as as, as Idro uh, Avero, the, the defense coordinator of Denver, told me, our goal is to make sure the quarterback is front and center in this game. They didn't quite accomplish that in Denver. Close, but not quite. New England accomplished it, and we saw the result. But one last time, he can do this. He's capable. He just has to get back to being the guy that we saw that was picked out of BYU. Very quickly, before we let you go here, Charles, there are two new names you have to add to your Buffalo flip card in Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines. Yep. Sorry, I'm going to get it. Uh, I'm learning it too. Naheem Hines and Dean Marlowe. We know Marlowe's here as a depth player. In your experience, what do you think is realistic for a guy that has to parachute in to a new offensive scheme midseason in terms of contributing sooner rather than later? Well, the good thing with Naheem Hines is he can contribute on special teams Sunday. I'd be stunned if he's not up because he can return punts for you right out of the gate. And running backs, as we've seen, when did Christian McCaffrey get traded to San Francisco? Didn't it feel like he got off the plane Friday and played on Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then week two, he was the player of the week in the NFC. Running backs can acclimate a lot quicker because at the end of the day, in the huddle, you say, oh, yeah, I know what I called. Take two steps to the right, I'm going to hand you the ball, run it. Take two steps to the left, I'm going to hand you the ball, run it. We're going to the right, I'm going to pitch it to you. You can get that going. So I'd be stunned if he's not up and ready to go, and I think he'll contribute a lot sooner rather than later because of his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and be a scat back type of a player. So I'm not worried about that at all with him, and we know why Marlowe was brought in, knows the system, knows how to play. He gives you depth in case Jordan Poyer is a long-term thing. Right on down the line. So, you know, I think those are two really good deals. My biggest question was, 
I still consider, I still kept waiting to see bigger running back, thick running back, 225, 30 pound running back that'll beat people up in the run game, short yardage, goal line, et cetera. And I still don't see that in Buffalo, but I don't think they care because they say, oh, have you met number 17 yet? Yeah. Because right. yeah. yeah. he'll that part for us. Charles, thanks, man. It's great catching up with you. We'll see you on Sunday. You guys take care. See you Sunday. All right. That's Charles Davis from NFL on CBS, color commentator, doing the Bills-Jets game with Ian Eagle this weekend at MetLife Stadium. Break time for us when we come back. Second hour is open to you. Before we're joined by Bills defensive tackle Tim Settle, fresh off the field from practice. But between now and then, it's your phone calls. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. Here we are, hour number two on a Wednesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the show. And in just a little bit, we'll have Bills defensive tackle Tim Settle joining us fresh off the field. Brought to you by Austin Air. So we'll let you know when Tim makes his way in here. But in the meantime, we are discussing the trades. And we didn't even kind of take a look at the landscape of the AFC now in the wake of all the trades that went down, Steve, the most notable of which took place in Buffalo's own division with the Dolphins acquiring Bradley Chubb, the pass rusher from the Denver Broncos, in exchange for a first-round draft choice. The Dolphins now do not have a first-round pick, if I I believe I'm correct on that. They acquired extra first-round picks in some of the trades they had made in recent years. They have now sent all of those out. They have shipped them all out, and they're putting all their eggs in the basket this year. Are they Are they a better team with Bradley Chubb? Yes. Better players make you better. Bradley Chubb is, is a better player. In fact, I think part of this move is to is in response to, I don't know, the lack of productivity that Jalen Phillips is. I don't think he's developed as yeah. fast as they want. I think they were misusing him a little last year, and I've seen him do some stuff athletically that are like well, eye-popping, but he isn't the dominant player that they want over there, and maybe with some help on the other side. Like Bills fans wanted Greg Rousseau to get somebody on the other side of him or, Gre- or Jerry Hughes to get Greg Rousseau on the other side of him. A guy on each side of the defense, Bradley Chubb will give that to a guy like Jalen Phillips and maybe ex- ex- expand his role and elevate his play as well. So, Ch- yeah, good players make you better. Better players make you better. And Chubb is certainly uh, an upgrade over the the bottom of their D-line rotation in Miami. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, a, he's a good player. The problem that I think the Dolphins realized they had, they have a good defense, but their pass rush was lacking. They had only 15 sacks through eight games, and it just flat out wasn't good enough. 
And I think they realized against the upper echelon of the AFC clubs they're going to be doing battle with in the playoffs if they get there, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, you better have a pass rush answer or provide consistent pass rush pressure or you're going to be in a track meet where you don't have all the horses necessarily to hang with them on every single series. So this is a response to that. Um, Yeah, I mean, sacks per pass attempt, they're 25th. Um, They're tied for 17th and giving up first downs per game. Their interception rate, they're 25th in the league. So they'd love to get that down. They're ranked 24th and third down allowed, third down conversion allowed. They're 16th and fourth down conversion allowed. You know, they're middle of the road or a little bit less in most of these. Red zone, they're 28th. So – and I, I think that t- where they got this trade yeah. tells you where they think their problem is. Part And part of the reason those numbers are what they are is because their defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer, has had to call a lot more blitzes than probably he would like. And in turn, he's getting victimized on the back end if that blitz doesn't get there because he's down men on the back end because he's sending them at the passer. One issue with this is Chubb's contract's up. At the end of this year, they got to yeah. they got to extend him or lose him. So Chubb, I'll say this: he's got a crowbar of a leather lever. If he doesn't want to sign a deal, he's going to hit the market or he's going to get franchised. Yeah. So um, the and bar- you just gave up a one for and that you, guy. Yeah, that's right. You got to get it. You got to sign. You can't him. give up a one for a rental. That's right. You can't give up a one for eight game, ten games. So Chubb has got an enormous lever he can use against the Dolphins and. They may, I mean, he may end up, you know, putting their salary cap out of whack, which makes it hard for them to build a roster. So it'll be interesting to see how they do it. That's one problem the Dolphins have inherited. Now, certainly they are probably right now talking to his representation, trying to iron out a deal. But, man, oh, man, you're talking about, you know, a guy that could be in the position he's playing looking at getting $19 million a year. That's a chunk. Might be even more than that. And it might be more than that. Um and to my knowledge, the Dolphins don't have a ton of money to spend in 2023. I'm going to try to take a quick cursory look at it to see what their situation is. Because Tyreek by himself is 31.2. Teron Armstead, the left tackle, is 20.4. Byron Jones, the corner, who's always hurt, 18.8. Right. Emmanuel Ogba who Bradley Chubb is replacing in the lineup, 17.3. And he's a $21 million dead cap hit next year if they cut him. Yeah. Right. The, I'm telling you right now, Steve, all the eggs are in the basket this year for the Dolphins. They are doing exactly what Brandon Bean does not want to do. Brandon Bean right. wants to perennially contend year over year and consistently take swings at the Super Bowl, the Dolphins see an opportunity here at five and three, and they just put all they just put all their chips in the middle of the table, acquiring Bradley Chubb and parting with their last remaining first round pick next year, and they have a world of money problems next year with big yeah. fat contracts. Yeah, they're talking about – I mean, they and they've got <laughs> – If they get rid of Xavier Howard next year, oh he's only gosh. a $10 million cap hit on the roster, 
The dead cap hit is $33 million. Right. Who's doing Christian the books? Christian Wilkins is $10, 10 million in dead. Jerome Baker's $8 million. Emmanuel Ogba's $21 million. $14 million for Byron Jones. Taron Armstead, $26 million. Of course, Tyreek Hill, if they cut him next year. Well, they won't four, do that. $46 but... million in dead cap. They're not going to, but they got a ton of money tied up in about 10 guys. Um, and the rest... You know, they're going to have to do the best they can around that. And let's not forget this, Steve. Who's three years in and looking for a new deal? Uh, I would be their quarterback to a tongue of Iowa. So what are you doing? How are you going to navigate all that with, an, with a pass rusher looking for a big second contract and a quarterback looking for a big second contract? Best of luck, man. Who's going to be making a million dollars, one million dollars next year if he, if he sees that contract? You think that's – I mean, does well, his they'll, rep- they'll load up his bonus. You're if saying his, in base salary is right, what you're base saying. Right, base salary. Signing bonus hits a four four point eight million million cap hit. Gets a roster bonus of 3.7. So he'll be, he'll be making uh, in cash that he gets probably around four eight, almost $5 million bucks. So it's not bereft. But you, if you're representing Tua Tonga-Vailoa and you've heard the rhetoric coming out of their head coach's mouth – and having him play the way he has played, I mean, they're they're very they are promoting him like they're trying to get him to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, his representation has got to be banging on the door right now, right now. Even even if, if they're doing their job, they are. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the Dolphins. Yeah, this trade with Chubb is going to be an issue coming up to see how they handle it. Yeah, because there's no easy answer. There is no easy answer. Um, And you're going to have a ton of egg on your face if you let him walk out the door and play somewhere else next year because you don't have the fiscal responsibility to keep him long-term after giving up a first-round draft choice. Yeah, and I'll say this, too. The the, the side I'm looking at does not have Chubb on this roster. So, uh, you know, so you got to kind of wait and see how that works. But – they got some issues. I, I, I don't know if it's going to be on the football side of it. They're better off with Chubb in their building than without. No question about it. That first-round draft pick didn't help anybody until you actually even know who's available and if you pick the right guy and get him through training, all yeah. that. So Chubb makes you better right now, and going forward, you got a guy that's been proven in the league. So that's all well and good. The contract stuff is really the only thing they got to got to figure out. And if, if Stephen Ross has the deep enough pockets, they can work it out. Much like the Bills, the Dolphins also added a running back. They traded away Chase Edmonds, who really was proving to not be a very good fit in their offensive scheme, and acquired a running back who's already operated and functioned and been productive in this kind of a scheme. As we know, Mike McDaniel comes off the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. He runs the same general run scheme in Miami. So he makes a trade with the 49ers to get Jeff Wilson, the running back, who now is riding the bench after the 49ers acquired Christian McCaffrey. So a guy that's no longer of use to the 49ers goes to the Dolphins where he figures at worst to be the number two guy behind Raheem Mostert, his former teammate in San Francisco. Yeah. Interesting stuff. A lot of speed there in the backfield now for the Dolphins. Yeah, So speed at wide out, speed at running back, speed, speed, and more speed. And I'll tell you what, that's what the Bills did too, getting Naheem Hines in the fold. That guy can scoot, really scoot. Uh, You put him on the field with, you know, James Cook, with Isaiah McKenzie, and all of a sudden 
you got some guys that can really go, and you got some home run hitters out there. So it'll be interesting to see how those how those guys are deployed, uh, and what Hines can do right away. Certainly, you can plug him in, and he can return kicks Sunday if they so desire. And certainly now, getting him today, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, yeah, he can play as much as you want him to play on Sunday. I mean, he came off. He's he's in the middle of his own season. I mean, it's not like he just came right. off the shelf. It's not like. Tredavious White, who hasn't played in a, in a year. This is different. Naheem Hines could – he could take as many snaps as At the very as really least, you could to. have a package of plays for him. I mean, at the very least. Yeah, the expectation is very high when you come into a team. You've got to get up and running quick. Uh, Hines will do that. They'll help him. They certainly won't have high, high expectations for him. But if need be, yeah, he'll be, he'll be in there. No question about it. He'll be ready to go. Just a couple of other notes from some of Brandon Bean's comments that were somewhat interesting in terms of how it pertains to the Bills, not just in the here and now, but going forward. Uh, He did mention that Ike Butker, who has been on PUP the whole season because of the Achilles injury that he suffered in Week 16 last year, re-signed with the club in the offseason but was designated to PUP, um, Brandon basically said he believes he has a chance to come back late in the season. An Achilles injury is typically about a year, and as we said, he suffered that injury in Week 16 at New England. That's when Ryan Bates stepped into the lineup for Buffalo at guard and parlayed that into a starting role this year. Uh, for pretty good money after the Chicago Bears signed him to an offer sheet and the Bills matched it. But we've seen Ike Butker a lot over in the uh, athletic training center working really hard to kind of get that Achilles right again, and he would be some nice depth uh, if, in fact, he can get back and add himself to the roster. Um, he, uh, yeah, he had a, he had a setback. Um, yeah, in the summer. In, in April. Or in the spring. Yeah, right, he had, right, a, re, right, he had right. a, re, a surgery redone. The first surgery did not take, so he kind of got set back about four months uh, by the injury. Had, a re, had it redone. He says now it, he feels good. He's really feeling better and better. And um, Obviously, he's really optimistic about his ability to come back and play. Being also addressed, Odell Beckham Jr. and all the talks surrounding him, not only with the Rams and other teams across the league, but the Bills as well. And Bean said the following. He's a heck of a player. If we think he can help this team, we'd be crazy not to look into it. Obviously, a lot of things would have to line up like financials and such. So the door is open to at least entertain the thought of adding Odell Beckham Jr. I think the biggest question there is when is he fully healthy? When is he able to pass a physical knowing he just had ACL surgery in late February? Yes, if you can get... Odell healthy and proven to be healthy and come out and say, okay, Odell Beckham, NFL, Odell Beckham Jr. is now ready to play. He is 100%. Well, a guy of his talent and credentials, um, it's up to him. I well, mean, yeah, he, ultimately he's the, it's he's his the, choice. He's the voice. He can, he'll virtually pick where he wants to play for the remainder of the year. He'll sign a – a one-year deal prorated for the end of the season. He'll play for a few hundred grand, nothing, and in case in an in an effort to showcase himself to hit the free agency market as a healthy player this next off season, and you know, so that's what he'll get out of it. 
He'll want some place to showcase his talents to get ready to sign a big long-term deal with some team anywhere. The interesting thing on that is some of the more recent news we've heard on the Odell Beckham Jr. front is he's looking for a multi-year contract because he doesn't want to keep hopping around after going from the Browns, while well, he talked his way out of the Browns, uh, to go to the Rams. But, you know, playing for two different teams in each of the last two years, he doesn't want to be a one-year rental again. He's supposedly looking for a two-year contract at the very least. I just don't know how many teams are willing to take on that kind of a risk, knowing he's a guy that has two ACL knee injuries to the same knee in a span of about 20 months. So he may have to settle for a one-year contract and hope he can stay healthy, parlay that into you know, a bigger deal next offseason, as you suggested. Uh, it's all well and good to want right. some long-term security, but it your also, injury history doesn't help you in that regard. And it may be, if it's a two-year deal, this year counts. True. So it's really a one-year and a three. If, it, if he comes back and, say, plays for the Buffalo Bills – it's really a one-year, four-game plus the playoff kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get your mind around that. The one last thing that Brandon Bean mentioned was he was asked about Tredavious White's rehab, his plan going forward. Again, the common refrain from the Bills has been they're going to just continue to take it day by day to on-ramp him until he's game-ready. And then even then, they'll probably ease him into the game setting and not just throw him out there for 65 snaps in a game. The one thing that I was encouraged by was Brandon Bean said, I have seen a lot of players rehab from ACL injuries. I don't want to say Trey White's rehab was the best, but I haven't seen better. I am real proud of him. Um, you and I have that been said something to me. Months. I mean, we've yeah. been seeing him work over here like a dog. I mean, we're I'm just a guy. We're just guys. We see him, but we see him all the time. We we chit chat with him once in a while. Say, hey, how you doing? Good, you know. And we don't even talk about his knee because, I mean, the guy's sitting there. He looks like a million bucks. Even today, he was out there taking reps, and he just he, you could tell. Um, there's some stuff on social media reminding you of the kind of guy he was. Great personality on the football field. Obviously, a great player. A lot of energy, and he looks like that to me out on the practice field. He looks like the same guy, absolutely the same guy. High-fiving guys, jumping around, dancing around, practicing, just happy to be out there, real joy, you know. Um, That's a great guy to get back. And you and I have been watching him. We say this all the time. We have been watching him for months, months. And I mean, every time you see him, Brownie, am I right? He is like full lather, sweated up. Oh yeah, just. But the other like thing, completely. The other working, thing, working hard. The other thing too, though, is I, I think he's always been like a lean, framed athlete. Not a lot of musculature on his frame. He's just he's wiry. You know what right. I mean? This rehab. He is rocked up now. Like, I have never seen this much muscle on his frame before. And it's because all this guy's doing is training his tail off. And there's more muscle on that frame now than I have ever remembered seeing before. Because it's really the only thing he can do right now or has done for the past seven or eight months. Train, 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 and train some more. And, I mean, he's an Adonis now. Yeah. Well, he's always, you know. He's always been a pro athlete. He's playing corner in the NFL, so he looks looks the part as always. He always has. Um, you're right. 
He just looks just ready, you know, and I know mentally um, you never know. You can't get inside another guy's mind, but you just got to know that he wants to come back and play really well for these guys. Um, sitting there watching them and seeing them have the success they are, knowing you want to be a part of it. Um, good for him. And when we're finally at the – looks like the cusp of seeing him back on the field in some capacity. Yeah. Is it this week? We'll have to wait and see. I would anticipate that Coach McDermott will probably make a determination on that probably sometime on Friday. And – whether he lets the media know to you know share with the fans publicly remains to be seen. I mean, it's I don't think it's any strategic advantage per se that you would keep it under wraps if you know what I mean. So we'll see where we are two days from now. We'll probably have a clearer picture as to just what we might be looking at in terms of Tre'Davious White back on a game field. We will take a break here because when we come back, fresh off the field will be Bill's defensive tackle, Tim Settle. He'll join us next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And joining us now on set in studio, fresh off the practice field, is defensive tackle Tim Settle. Fresh off the field interviews brought to you by Austin Air, the official clean air provider of the Buffalo Bills. How you doing, Big Tim? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So last week was the first week since week one yeah. that all you boys up front were healthy and ready to roll. How did it feel to kind of have the whole band back together? Feels good. You know, uh, like you said, we've been dealing with nicks and knacks, injuries here and there. But, you know, uh, just everybody's mindset on staying focused and doing that 111. You know, uh, I feel like we can hold that weight a little bit while the other guy gets healthy. Or, you know, uh, we did it. We did it worthwhile. And, and now that we're all back to it, it's, 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 it's exciting to see what we're about to get, uh, see what we'll be able to do, you know, with this front. Yeah, you guys got back. And, it was a weird game last week because, you know, the Packers had two really good backs, uh, and they ran the ball against you guys, and that was their plan. And it was really weird because none of even Bills fans, I don't know about you guys, we didn't care because if they were <laughs> going to do that, they ran out. Of, they were going to run out of time, yeah. and they kind of strangled themselves with that philosophy. Yeah, uh, well, I, I feel like we got a one dimensional early. You know, uh, just getting out there, uh, Aaron. You know, during the pass and stuff, and. You know, uh, coming out at halftime, I feel like that, you know, the only thing they felt like they could do to get things going was to try to run the ball again. You know, they hit us here and there, but, you know, that's just something that we, we can regroup as a defense and fix here and there. It was certain things that, you know, that uh, they gave us that we weren't really familiar with. So, you know, that's just a uh, little adjustments and get back to it. You know, uh, we didn't like, you know, that they ran for what they ran, but, you know, that's, that's just another thing for us to sharpen up. Yeah, but week. I know your coaches always say we don't care about yards, we care about points. Yeah. But to that point that you just made, what is Coach Frazier like on the sidelines in between series when those adjustments have to be made? Just maybe give us a sense of, as to his demeanor, what he's like, the messaging he's giving you guys. Um, he, he's really good with uh, communicating with Coach uh, Washington. So, you know, they might talk before they bring us up. So they'll communicate something and they'll get, they'll get something going and they'll relay it to us. And, Everything that we go over, you know, we don't, we might not have everything up in our playbook, but uh, it's easy to bring something out because we all know everything. But uh, just 
we uh we always do it too. You know, if we see something, they might bring us together. We're gonna do this on this. We're gonna do this on that. So in game adjustments, uh, Coach Frazier is, is is excellent. You know, he's real vocal. Yeah. And he's real straight to the point on what he wants. Because he's really good too about picking your guys' brain. Because you're the guys that are out there. You're yeah. you're seeing stuff. So if there's something that you see, I gotta imagine he's more than willing to take it. Like what are, what are you seeing? Tell yeah. me so then I can make a better adjustment yeah. based on what you're seeing, right? Yeah, and especially with the older guys like DQ and Phil. You know, you get, when you get to a certain uh, year in football, you know, you, uh, the blocks that you get, you kind of, you, you know what you get in, you, uh, you feel different things and, you know, you, the blocks, you, you can feel a block and you can kind of like adjust off of it. So, you know, DQ might come off, I'm like, all right, he's doing this on this. You know, I feel like if he stays doing this, I could do this and he'll relay it. And, you know, it's, it's not no gray area. You know, we, we, uh, he, he explains it. He explains it. He, uh, they get the details of it and then we, 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 we find some way and we execute it. So. D- and DQ is Daquan, just so yep, everybody yeah, knows. Daquan, I don't yeah. know if everybody knows the nicknames <laughs> yeah, you guys got for each other. Clarify that. Yeah. So you got the Jets coming up. You guys have already, you know, been presented the the game plan and stuff. What you know, they've got an offensive line. They got a, a team that's got some expectations, uh, and they've kind of lived up to them, and now kind of exceeded them almost at this point of the year. They're playing better than people gave them credit for being able to. What's the uh, game plan? What are the thoughts? You know, they give us a general sense of the Jet game coming yeah. up. Yeah, um, you know, I, you know, they're a hot team this year. You know, uh, they definitely had a little run. You know, um, and we we know that uh, that they're they're definitely looking forward to playing us. And you know, the last couple games they've been able to establish a run game. You know, uh, averaging 140 plus, and you know, uh, we got to definitely be good on having that sound and keeping that to a minimum. And you know. Uh, we know that they have a young quarterback, and you know uh, we're going to try to utilize that as well. But you know we're just going to continue to play sound defense, you know uh, stuff to run, and we can just get after this this young quarterback. Now yeah, they, on a on a oh go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say they just put together you know had a little four win, four game winning streak going. You the Steelers, Dolphins, Packers, Broncos. They've been playing some really good football. What has been the engine that kind of drives them from uh, your perspective? You know uh, from my perspective, just watching it, you know uh, their defense has been really sound for them. You know uh, their defense has uh, definitely been leading them as a uh, as a unit, you know, and their offense kind of feeds off of it. You know, they put their offense in good situations to – it's not hard to not execute. So, you know, this – you know, the, uh, and we, we understand that they have a good uh, solid defense from front uh, to the backers to the to the uh, secondary. And, you know, everybody – everybody's good. You know, we just got to play our ball and, and, it's, and you know, yeah. better teams going to win. Be the better defense. Um, yeah. On a much lighter subject, Josh Allen gave an interview recently – and I need your corroboration on this. Being a college and pro teammate now of Tremaine Edmonds, Josh was asked, who is the best singer in the locker room? And he said Tremaine Edmonds. Can you corroborate this? And is it factual in nature? Because yeah. we saw Tremaine in the hallway, and he played dumb. Like, he didn't know. Yeah. Is, oh, there, is there any validity to yeah. that answer by Josh Allen? It's crazy. Uh, I, I can go back a little further with uh, Tremaine, but, you know, um, they all of their brothers can sing. Every one of them. Can really? Sing. Oh yeah. So you know, don't don't let <laughs> they've them all got they, pipes. They all can sing. You know, um, they grew up in the church too. So yeah, yeah. Right, right. But I, uh, I remember um, going in, in college our freshman sophomore year. You know, his his mom and them used to come up for the uh, game, and they and, and we used to sing happy birthday to his mom, and my and Jermaine would lead it all. And they were really. Oh, singing. so you got you got pipes too? Oh, I can sing. I do my own singing, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I I think Tremaine can sing a little better than me. But you know, he definitely got he definitely got vocals. He definitely can sing. You know, I, uh, so he's I know got, he might have a little more range than you. That's yeah, amazing. I, I, that main definitely can sing. He he he, he might okay. not show it. He can sing. Man, he's yeah. kept that under wraps yeah, he here for a while. Yeah. 
Wow. I've, I've heard him sing plenty of times. So uh, you were just telling us before we went on the air here, you're, you're getting your basement done here in Buffalo to yeah. make your music studio, kind of, you know, your side hustle. Yeah. Um, is, is, like, Maine a guy you'd pull down there and say, hey, give me some bars? Like, you know, whoever wants to come down there, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, the studio is – you got to get comfortable in the studio. So, yeah. you know, I remember when I first started, it was during COVID. You know, you, you got to dis – you got to – it's it's hard at first, especially when you don't know what you're doing. But it's the reputation of this going to the, a real studio and then being able to do something your your own. I'm not perfect in there, but I know how to do everything. And if, if anything, I could send something off and have somebody edit it. But I, my goal is to get at least you know, if not half the team, a good a, a good percentage in there. At least you know, get get you in your out your comfort zone. You know, try to do something. Yeah. It don't got to be nothing that you don't yeah. got to post a song or anything. You just get yeah, in there and enjoy stuff. yourself. Yeah. I don't know if you'll have to invite Isaiah. He'll probably be there knocking yeah, on your door. Too, yeah. <laughs> He doesn't, anybody, ask, he doesn't wait for an invitation. Anybody is welcome. He'll bring a cop. Anybody is welcome. I know uh, Big D Dog. I know D Dog going to get in there with me. And, uh, me and uh, uh, yeah, there's another guy that's not. Me shy. and Shaq going to get in there. So oh yeah, boy, Shaq. Okay, yeah. that's good stuff. And by the way, yeah, congratulations. First sack this last week. Yes. Got Aaron. Rod is there something? Is one thing to you know to sack you know a quarterback Davis Mills. Uh, <laughs> it's another thing to sack Aaron Rodgers. Right? Yeah. You guys That's like a that? notch you put on your bedpost there. <laughs> right. Well, it's crazy because it was funny because, uh, you know, my first NFL sack was Tom. Oh, was when it? When I was in Washington. Nice. And then, you know, it was crazy. My first sack was the Bills, was Aaron. So it was like. I think Shaq's first sack is Brady, if I remember I right. Yeah. I think his first career sack is Brady. He got to play him twice a year. Yeah, but. So, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling, you know. Uh, it just—I feel like this, you know, just being on a stacked defense like this, you know, it's—it's it's, it's really hard to make plays. Right. You know, you got to—you got to turn. Yeah. yeah. You got a lot of guys flying around. You got a lot of guys pursuing. You got a lot of guys just getting to the ball. You know, like you got to—you got to eat a little greedy. You know, doing your one eleven, but you know what I'm saying. If you can, like. Like, you got to get really good yeah. after it. Your sack was pretty good, too. They had a hard play. They've been running the football, and they had a hard play fake across your face. You saw the ball handling, took a half a step, false, and then were, you were, they had no shot. Yeah. Uh, you got right by the guard. You swum him inside or outside the guard as he tried to come down on you. It was a really nice play. It was just like four things happened in like a half second. It's, it's crazy because, I, you know, I, my, I was emphasizing my hands all weekend. You know, just Coach E's been helping me, you know, just having me come over there, pulling me to the side, you know, and – and I've been working on my reads real well, and, and I, I seen that they was running a GC. They pulled the guard in the center out, and right. usually when they run that 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 guard, that backside guard is way more flatter. And he, I felt him like kind of running to me, and it didn't feel right, so I ended up like popping it. And then it just I thought I was trying to backdoor, and I, I was going to the the running back, yeah, and then yeah. Aaron was right there. So yeah. you know, just keeping it tight. You know, that's what happens when you you, you know you get vertical on a, a penetrating defense. You know, things like that can happen. But you know, uh. It was bound to happen, you know. Plays is plays is there to get made. You just got to make them. All right, man. Well, look, keep uh, make keep on making them because yeah. we like watching them yeah, and we like seeing in. the old waddle out there. Yeah. Waddle, the penguin doing yeah, the, the penguin. I know doing the penguin. <laughs> Penguins waddle. That's what I meant. But yeah, doing the penguin. I got you. Uh, Tim Saddle joining us here in the studio. Tim, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. For Stay healthy, me. okay, and keep being productive out there. Okay. We will take a break. Or actually, we're not going to take a break. We're going to go to the podium because, as we understand it, Tredavious White is addressing the media for the first time since he is back on the roster. So let's go there now. Oh, you see my team? My team is pretty good, right? Uh, but, uh, man, it's been, it's been fun watching those guys, man. Those guys, I mean, it's not a surprise. Uh, you know, 
Coach McDermott and Brandon Bean, those guys do a great job of getting guys in that's buying into our scheme and buying into the way that we do things. And it just makes, you know, when, when one guy goes down, the next guy up, you know, knows what to do. There's no drop off. Where's your confidence level in the leg right now? You're out there doing the work, making all the cuts. Do you have confidence that you can do everything you day? Uh, I'm just taking it a day at a time. I think that with that approach, I think that uh, it's, it's, when I get back out there, it's going to be the right time. And my leg going to be right once I get back out there, so I have to. You talk about taking it a day at a time. Just what's it been like being back out there? Oh, it's been fun. You know, anytime uh, I have to get out there with my teammates and do something that I haven't done for a long time, um, it's, it's fun. But I know that, you know, it's, it's a process. It's a day-by-day -day process that I'm going through. And, uh, I know that it's, it's going to be it's still a process to go, and I'm going I'm to take it a day at a time and continue to take the rehab, you know, like I've been doing. It obviously tests your, test your patience, Trey. It obviously tests your patience, but does it help knowing that there are potentially some big things to be healthy for? Later uh, on? I mean, yeah, you you know, you gotta you gotta think about that too. But you know, like like you guys said, we got a great team. Those guys have been doing a great job, um, of, you know, limiting big plays and taking the ball away. So, uh, I mean. You, you guys haven't noticed I haven't been out there, so <laughs> that's a good thing. What have you done to, to help Kyrie and Christian while you weren't playing, especially in the offseason when you knew you weren't going to be ready? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of uh, I met Kyrie during the pre-draft process when he came in, so uh, I kind of we exchanged numbers then, and I kept kind of kept kept in contact with him. Um, and uh, my old DBA coach in college, you know, is at Florida now, and uh, so he was trying to get me to try to get Kyrie to stay. But once I uh, looked at a couple games, <laughs> called my coach back and I said, Coach, I don't know what I can tell you. So, uh, and, and Christian, he's a guy, he's very quiet, you know, do all the things the right way, man. Those guys are great. They're ahead of the learning curve of where I was when I was a rookie. Those guys know the playbook, excellent, excellent, a lot of good questions, very complex guys. So I think that, you know, those guys have a great future. How emotional was it when Uh, I mean, you know, it's very emotional. Like I said, I mean, it's my first time ever going through anything like that uh, since I was probably like six or seven years old. It's, it's been football, basketball, track, football, basketball, track, football, basketball, track for the, for the last, what, 20, 20 years. So this is my first time I had to sit down. But uh, it just gave me a different perspective, man. Uh, In what way? I just noticed, like, I got more to give to people than knocking a pass down and intercepting the ball. So it's just, it was the first time in my life I sat down and it's like, Davis White, <laughs> what else can I offer to people? I know I'm bigger than just, you know, a football game or just knocking a pass down. So it's just, you know, I started reading, started getting into a different space, you know what I mean? Just learning about myself, learning about, you know, where where, what's my purpose here on, on earth other than playing a, playing a football game. So, I mean, it just put me in a different space. Sure, like, you know, say with, the, with an ACL, like a, you know, straight on running isn't necessarily an issue. It's the lateral stuff side to side, which is so difficult for a cornerback. Um, how, where are you in that process? How does it feel when you're having to make those types of cuts and moves? Um, I mean, it's feel, it's feel, it's feel natural. It's feel natural. Uh, like I said, I've been taking it a day at a time, so it's been a process of getting to where I'm at now. Uh, i got a ways to go, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's such a process. What, what do you think has been more challenging? Has it been the physical or the mental? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. More, definitely more the physical because you just got to get back out there. You got to get to moving. You got to work it out. You got to basically have to uh, build my body back up from the ground up. So it's been, it's been a challenge, and it's something that uh, you know, as a football player and as a guy that's 
been, you know, where I've been in my football career, is, it was a different challenge, and it's something that uh, I woke up every day ready, ready to kick his ass. Do you think, <laughs> to a lot of us, you looked bigger at camp when we saw you. Like, do you think that you even got stronger in your upper body because you were, you know, rehabbing and spending time in the weight room doing that? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I saw. Um, I, I got a lot of, a lot of people saying, you know, that I was, I, I looked, it looked a little bigger, but, uh, I mean, it was all part of the process, all part of, the, you know, my rehab process of just, Re redoing my body, just re redoing it from the ground up, like I said, and uh, I'm still going, and uh, it's, it's been a process, like I said, it's been fun. Uh, every day, it's been, a, it's, been, it's been tough times, too. You know, I have my days where it's just, you know, it's kicking my ass, but uh, I have more days where I'm kicking, kicking its ass, so, you know, <laughs> so that's where it's at. Did you kind of step back during camp? Was there anything that kind of moved you in the wrong direction? Uh... It's just been a, it's just been a process. You know, some days you wake up and it's, it's better than others. And uh, you know, I've been very cautious with it, very, just taking my time, just making sure it's right, so I, so I won't have any setbacks. So that's been most of the thing. How much, how much, do, how much, do, how confident are you that you could return to the elite level of player <laughs> that you've been? Uh, I think you know. I mean, I. I I bust my ass during this process, so once I come back and, and perform well, it's not going to be a surprise to me. Um, uh, my teammates that have been around during the summer and you know during the off season, they know. So you know the people that you know I me mean, that I care about and you know that care about me and just know the, the amount of work and effort and, and blood and literally blood, sweat and tears that I put into this rehab, they know. So. Um, coming back and performing well, it won't be a surprise. Is that what motivated you? I mean, is, is your competitive to begin with, is that what fueled you to, to, to show people that this isn't going to hold you back? Oh, uh, not really. It was, you know, just, you know, my, my, I'm my own worst, worst critic. So, uh, you know, it was, just, it was just a testament of me just getting out of the slump because, you know, the first first few months, it was just it's a very hard, uh, very depressing time. Mm. Locked up in my basement. They had to come drag. Guys from the facility had to come drag me out of there, man. So, um, the first few weeks, like I said, it, 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 it was tough. Um, I didn't. A lot of uncertainty about it. Um, just doing the research of you know, where I want to do everything, where I want to, you know, where I want to go with this process. But uh, I mean, these the, the, the staff here and the people around here have been great. So uh, the process is, you know, uh, I had to go. I didn't have to go through it alone. Thank you. All right, so that's Tredavious White addressing the media for the first time since he basically tore his ACL last Thanksgiving. He has not said a word. You've not seen hide or hair of him since he has been added to the active roster just yesterday. So he addressed the media coming off the practice field. And I think the biggest takeaway there, Steve, and we'll get into this when we come back, there are a lot of dark days for guys that go through major knee rehabilitation or any other major injury for that matter, Achilles, like Ike Bucker's going through now, we will talk about what that is like when we come back here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, so Steve, when we just left the show for break, we said there are a lot of dark days in long rehabilitations for players. Trey White just shed some light on that. What can you say about guys that you know, teammates that you know that went through those long rehabs? And they're not all the. It's not a series of positive days over a series of months. There are some 
There are some dark days. He said he was in his basement the first yeah. two weeks. He wouldn't come out of his basement. He was so depressed about the injury. The hard part is when you work, you begin to come back, and you're not able to do anything at first. Small, tiny. You know, these guys are used to pushing big weights, jumping and leaping and doing the vert box jumps and all the stuff you see on social media where these guys do videos of themselves doing tricks in the workout room because they're so in shape. You're doing stuff that, you know, is just mind-numbingly boring. You know, five-pound leg extensions, you know, stretching, just sitting there doing this for hours on end every day, day after day, and you, and you, you never see any, you know, tangible results. You're not getting better. Yeah. You're not getting to be a better athlete. You're just getting well. You're not even back to the point where you could even start training to get better. It's just you feel like you fell so far down in the abyss, you can't see the top. You know, there's just no tomorrow that's bright enough for you. You know, so you just it's just so depressing. And these guys go from elite athletes to where you feel like an invalid. And it's really, really crushing emotionally to a lot of them. It just takes days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months to get back on top. So Trey White's finally doing it. And, you know, it's a pretty good day when you can finally go out on the practice field and suit up with your guys. He still is pretty mindful about taking his time, though. He wants to come back when he feels he is right. And as Brandon Bean pointed out earlier today, they have to on-ramp him because he didn't have a training camp to get in quote-unquote football shape. He's physically strong enough to play football, but does he have the endurance to get through a game? That is yeah, the next step for him. And it's not as excruciating for the fans either. The team's very good. It's great. And he's going to make them better. Good players make you better. Great players make you better. Uh, but there's no rush to get him back, and they're doing it the way it should be done. It's up to Tredavious and how he feels and when he's ready, not when the win-loss record says it. Injury reports out. Spencer Brown limited today. Tremaine Edmonds, a new addition to injury report, limited with a heel injury. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.